0: It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cue's podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football.
1: Today on the Juice on the Cue's podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about a new book on the Old Big East and previewing the start of the Syracuse basketball season. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is Dana O'Neill, senior writer at The Athletic. Dana, welcome to the podcast. How are you today?
2: I'm great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Dana, your new book is called The Big East Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History. It comes out on Tuesday, November 9th. That's today and will be available at all major retail outlets. I read this book from cover to cover. I know you're going to hear this a lot, but once I started, I couldn't put it down. Tell us about the impetus to putting this book together.
2: Uh, You know, it it was a lot of fun to put this book together. It kind of came at me. Um, sideways, if you will, a, a book agent reached out to me um, to do it. And I'll be honest, when he suggested doing a book on the Big East, I was thinking like, well, isn't there already one? I mean, if you're a fan of the league, you presume, right, that someone sort of told the narrative. So they hadn't. Um, and the cool part was I got to just call people and, and get them to tell great stories. You know, it's it's such a topic that people are so Fond of that, it's not like anyone doesn't want to talk about it. So saying to you know Jim Beheim, for example, hey, you want to tell me old stories up the Big East? He was more than happy, and the stories are just, I mean, some of them are unbelievable, frankly, because it's just it's just from such a different era, I guess. Um, but it was it was a lot of fun.
1: So you spoke with more than sixty people in preparation for writing this book. Obviously, one of them being Jim Beheim. Who was your favorite interview?
2: Yeah, you know, I got really lucky um, before COVID shut us down. um, I went and spent a few hours uh, at St. John's with Coach Karnaseka and um, Jack Kaiser, the former um, St. John's athletic director, both in their 90s, both sharp as tacks. And we sat in this tiny little room off of the arena, and they just told one hilarious story after another, you know, kind of finishing each other's sentences. And, you know, Coach, Coach Karnaseka is such a delight. No matter when. Um, but in that circumstance, it was one of those. I was just so fortunate to be able to speak to him in person. Um, and of course, also, I spoke with Coach Thompson, thankfully, before he passed, because I don't think you can write a Big East book without talking to John Thompson, that's for sure.
1: Absolutely. And there's a lot of history behind the Big East. You just talked about John Thompson. I think two of the most famous Big East moments directly involved him, including the sweater game and Villanova defeating Georgetown. And there are other amazing moments like my personal favorite, the six overtime game. What was your favorite story to write about?
2: Gosh, it's hard to pick just one, honestly. I mean, some of the stuff I didn't know. I mean, I was at the six overtime game, so I kind of lived that one in every exhausting minute. Um, but I think what I, the one I really didn't know as much about was the sweater game. I mean, I had read all of that, obviously, and, and knew the backstory, but I didn't realize until Coach Thompson told me that he actually didn't have a sweater. He had a T-shirt replica underneath of it, and that afterwards, uh, Louie came back and kind of got him. He, he strung a bunch of towels together to make it look like a like almost like a, a wedding wedding dress train and had his neighbors come out of the court at the garden. So, I mean, I didn't realize that he had kind of countered Coach Thompson's joke and got him back by throwing, you know, throwing a gigantic John Thompson palace over his shoulder. So, I mean, that one just cracked me up. Because it's like, can you imagine trying to do that today? It would be hilarious.
1: (laughs) That's a great story. And you've already touched on this several times in the last few minutes, but let's talk more about the six overtime game. You wrote a story about how Mike Trangisi had a special party planned for him after that game. For our listeners who haven't heard it, can you elaborate?
2: Yeah, sure. So Mike Trangisi decided prior to that that, you know, he was done he was going to retire and he didn't really tell anybody yet but he had kind of mentioned it to a few people in passing and his wife and his secretary had planned sort of a a party for him after that that game just thinking that would be a good night to have it rather than crowded and crowded into like after the, the finals or something like that so they reserved a spot at this favorite Italian restaurant that they knew the owners and they told people to come after the game and mike didn't know about it well then it's like you know midnight <laughs> 1 a.m. and getting <laughs> later and later, and Lisa Zenekia is calling the, the restaurant like every 10 minutes saying, we're, we're coming. We're just not there yet. And uh, fortunately, as I said, they knew the owner. So when they got there, at, gosh, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, the owners basically put the food on the table and just said, lock the door behind you. And they stayed until dawn telling stories and kind of celebrating Mike. And it was such an amazing I don't know, ending for his career, if you will. I mean, he still obviously was at the, the tournament going through, but to have that celebration pegged to that particular game is just unbelievable. I mean, I don't know if I could have stayed awake if I was invited, but I, I just thought it was hilarious that, and, and, and so fitting because it was such an epic, epic game.
1: Dana, I know this may be a sacrilegious topic, but I have to ask you an ACC question. How do you see Syracuse doing in the upcoming season?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's it's okay. It's not staggered. Let's just, like, cover them all. It's all good. Uh, yeah, so here's the <laughs> thing. I mean, the ACC, in my mind this year, is as wide open as it's been in a lot of years. I mean, it's really, you know, I think Duke is going to be interesting. I think, you know, Virginia might be, get interesting. Virginia Tech could be good. Carolina, you know, we'll see how they do under Hubert Davis. So I think there's a lot of wiggle room, and I'm just, you know, anxious to see where Syracuse slides in. I think adding Cole Swider to the team, I mean, I covered him when he was at Villanova. He's a great shooter, so he adds another dimension with Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard, another great shooter, which I think, you know, will make that offense more potent. I think the question, of course, is is the defense. I mean, the zone last year was okay, but not great at times, and I think that's what they need to shore up. If they could become a sort of half-decent, even formidable Jim Bayheim defense, and take all the shooters they have, I think they could surprise some people in the ACC, honestly, because I think there are games to be had in that league.
1: Dana, thank you so much for coming on the program. Again, Dana O'Neill from The Athletic. Her book is The Big East Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History, coming out today, November 9. If you're a college basketball fan, a Syracuse fan, or just a fan of great books, this is a must-read. Dana, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the start of the college basketball season, and we'll speak with you soon. Thank you. Again, Dana's book comes highly recommended. It was great speaking with her about it. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, we've reached the start of the 2021-22 Syracuse basketball season. Syracuse opens tonight against Lafayette at the Dome at 7 p.m. You did your annual game-by-game predictions on Monday in your Orange Watch. How do you see the season going for the Orange?
3: Overall, Wes, I think what's going to be the final record is something that's quite common in Jim Bayheim's career. That's winning 20 games or more right off the top. I have Syracuse at 22 and nine for the 31 game regular season and 13 and seven in the ACC tied for fifth best, but losing the tiebreaker to finish as the sixth seed in the ACC tournament. So overall, we know it's a very tough early part of the regular season. Beside games against Lafayette in the openers, you mentioned, uh, Lehigh, Drexel, Colgate, and Cornell, it's mixed in with that really tough stretch at the ba- battle for Atlantis. Virginia Commonwealth, I'm predicting Syracuse will face Baylor and fall to the Bears in the second round there and then face old friend Michigan State in the third-place game and win that. Then hosting Indiana in the Big Ten ACC Challenge game at the Dome, and i kind of always joke that after the 1987 national championship game Syracuse isn't going to lose to Indiana ever again and they're 5 and 0 in games <laughs> against the hoosiers since then and i think they'll make it 6 and 0 beating them in the acc big 10 challenge and then facing villanova in a neutral court game at madison square garden falling there and then the other non conference game at georgetown and you know I, I pick a win there in the game at dc and about Georgetown, you know I just love the fact that Syracuse and Georgetown still maintain this rivalry, even since Syracuse has moved on to the ACC so in conference play, I again see Orange going orange going thirteen and seven, uh, which you know in this season would be you know really good because it 's top heavy with Duke, North Carolina, Florida State, Louisville, and Virginia, and virginia tech and and I see Syracuse competing with those teams. Uh, near the top, but finishing just above the middle of the pack. So overall, uh, a 20-win season plus, making the NCAA tournament. And I figure at this point for the NCAA, it's just so many teams in the mix, somewhere about, you know, maybe being the seventh seed or falling into that 8-9 seed bracket, which uh, means you have to play the number one seed in a regional in round two. But, again, a successful season for Syracuse, winning 20 games plus and being in the top half of the ACC.
1: And Brad, we had Dana O'Neill on the podcast earlier talking about the old Biggies. You covered Syracuse from the late 70s until today. You were there at the formation and disintegration of the conference. Are there any stories that would supplement what Dana has already written? First of all, Wes, it
3: was a great book. It, it certainly brought back many, many memories, and Dana did a great job in finding some behind-the-scenes stories Uh, including the Dome Ranger. And I've been a close personal friend of Dennis Brogan's for almost 40 years. So to see how uh, Dana interacted with Dennis, the Dome Ranger, and his memories of how the Dome Ranger started and uh, how he entertained the crowd in the Carrier Dome for so many seasons, how he was an antagonist to the Georgetown Hoyas and specifically head coach John Thompson, Jr. Really uh, enjoyed reading those uh, parts of the book in which she interacted with Dennis and the Syracuse part. I, I kind of had ten things that stand out to me—a a top ten, if you will—for Syracuse. Kind of bookended West in the Big East with John Thompson and John Thompson the Third, meaning of course the famous final game in Manley Fieldhouse in 1980 when John Thompson Jr. uttered that Manley Fieldhouse is officially closed. Bookends all the way to 2013, Syracuse's final season in the ACC when they beat Georgetown in the Big East Tournament semifinals in New York, and John Thompson III's comment after that was lamenting the loss of Syracuse to the ACC Conference and, you know, saying for a few dollars more, uh, they moved out of the league. Well, we know it was a lot more than just a few dollars. It was many millions of dollars, and football really ruled everything, so Syracuse had to make the sensible decision there. But in between, the other things that stand out to me, 1981, the three-overtime game against Villanova in the Big East Championship. I think that loses a lot of luster because of the 6 OT game, which I'll comment on in a second, but that was just a fabulous game, three overtimes on Leo Routon's tip-in to win it in the Carrier Dome in the second Big East Tournament Championship game. The next three involved Pearl Washington. I've said to you often the Syracuse program was made in the Big East by Pearl Washington. He was such a iconic figure in the history of Syracuse basketball. And he announced his arrival with the famous half court shot, February, 1984 against BC. Then a year later, his marvelous Big East tournament semifinal performance, uh, excuse me, championship game performance against Georgetown, where he took on the Hoyas almost single-handedly the game where Michael Graham went after Andre Hawkins and, Jim Beheim's famous comment after that, the best team in this game did not win tonight. Then the next season, the, the uh, upset loss to Navy in the Dome. Uh, up to that point, Syracuse did not win two consecutive games in the NCAA tournament under Jim Bayheim, The crowd chanting, one more year, one more year, as Pearl said on the bench late in that game when it was apparent that Navy was going to pull the upset. Then a year later, Syracuse finally did win two games consecutive in the NCAA tournament. Uh, beating Western Kentucky to move on to the Sweet 16, and Ronnie Cycley famously after that game said, to get the monkey off Jim Beheim's back, we washed it off as he threw a bucket of water on him in the uh, post-game celebration. Then in 1996, Cuse is in the house, out of nowhere, uh, making the Final Four and going all the way to the championship game, led by John Wallace, falling to Kentucky. 2003, of course, the great Carmelo Anthony-led team with Jerry McNamara and Hakeem Warwick and uh, winning it all in New Orleans for the national championship. Also, kind of ironically, in that season, after beating Texas in the semifinals, as Dana pointed out in her book, the crowd at the Superdome chanting to Mello one more year, one more year, as they did to Pearl back in 1986. Then, of course, 2009, the famous sixth overtime game at the Garden, I was there courtside watching those six OTs, and I always say to folks when we recollect about that game that there were three teams on the floor that night, the third being the three officials, and what a job they did in refereeing a game and going back and forth, running up and down the court for the extra 30 minutes of the game with the six five-minute overtime sessions. And then, as I alluded to, the, the finale in 2013, Uh, finishing up with a loss to Louisville in the Big East Tournament Championship game. So what a ride. Uh, Just incredible. It was an honor for me to be in the media and covering it during that, knowing that something was special, all the Hall of Fame players, the Hall of Fame coaches, just a magical era in college basketball.
1: And, Brad, we are right at the end of our show, your closing thoughts.
3: And I'll switch now to football, Wes, and Syracuse's final three games – after having watched the Louisville-Clemson game Saturday night with uh, Louisville having a chance to win that, going down to the goal line in the final minute, but not being able to score on four downs, Clemson holding on for the victory. Louisville's going to be a formidable test, especially if Malik Cunningham can come back from... Uh, hurting his ankle in the game against Clemson. He's done so much damage against Syracuse in the last two years and games played there had a 51 yard touchdown run against the Tigers in the loss. It's really going to be a tough one to win on the road, but I have faith in this Syracuse team this year. And I think that this game is going to come right down to the fourth quarter. Uh, the team having a week off is certainly beneficial and really right there for Syracuse to have a shot to win game number six, uh, with a couple to go and become bowl eligible in this next game against Louisville coming up on Saturday.
1: Brad, my closing thoughts are on Buddy Beheim. He's coming off an incredible NCAA tournament run, and the country has noticed he's been named a preseason All-American, a preseason All-ACC first team selection, and now he's also on the National Association of Basketball Coaches watch list for Division One Player of the Year. There are only 20 players on that list showing how many expect Buddy Buckets to be well on his way to another standout season. That's it for us. For Brad Bierman, this is Wes Chang reminding you that 100% of people who give 110% don't understand math. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV and we'll see you next time.
0: This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepickscom play100 and use code PLAY100. That's code play Play 100 at prizepicks.com/slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy.